Hey, podcast listeners, I just wanted to give you a heads up that I'm changing the format of this podcast. In the past, I've uploaded talks from our meetings at Ratio Christi, Colorado State, but I've decided that most people would rather have three 10-minute segments on various topics. With that in mind, if you still like the old format and content, it will be available on a podcast called Ratio Christi, Colorado State. So make sure to subscribe to that if you want to keep the content in the future. Thanks a lot. Ready? Okay. Um, just we, I see a lot of new faces, which is awesome. Um, so I'm just going to introduce myself a little bit. My name is Jill Graham, like the cracker, or like Billy Graham. But I usually when um, I teach high school, usually, and I usually hand out graham crackers the first day. I should have brought some graham crackers. But just to help you remember who who we are, we are the Grahams. Our kids are back there. We got Wesley and Julie, and then um, Matt and I actually met at seminary. It's a great place to pick up a guy. And um, we love doing apologetics together. Um, he's done Rasher Christie for years, and the past couple of years have been the first time I've been able to join with him, and I've loved it. Um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, that's my alma mater, and um, I taught in the public schools for nine years, and then I taught in the Christian schools for about five, five six years um, part-time. And again, went to seminary at Southern Evangelical Seminary, which is in Charlotte, where they really focus on apologetics. And I had a lot of questions. I was a big doubter. I was a big questioner. I was always the why kid. Why, 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 why? And so it, apologetics really helped me to kind of solidify my own faith and answer some of those lingering, nagging questions that I had. And it's also really helped me in, I found, in evangelism. Kind of you have to do a little pre-evangelism now. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to teach at the college level because um, I love my high schoolers to death. But you guys are really, I think, where it's at because you can think so much deeper and there's a lot, lot more that, that we can do together. So I'm really excited to do that. Um, and just the obvious, the elephant in the room, yes, half of my face isn't really working well. Um, I actually had a brain tumor the last time I taught here in the spring. I just found out I had that. Um, I had it removed in May. It's been about four months. Had to learn how to walk again. Had the whole walker thing. I felt like I was 90. It was weird. Um, I lost a lot of my balance, so I had to relearn balance. Um, and just the part of the surgery, um, it ir uh, irritated my facial nerve. And so it's coming back, but it's really slow. It's like six, seven months you have to wait. So I, I joke with little, little kids because they just stare. They, they don't know not to stare. And I just tell them I'm a cyborg or a robot or something. And I got, you know, I got a little metal on my eye to help me blink. So if I'm like going like this or like this, whatever, it's just because my face isn't quite there yet. It's, it'll be there. It'll get there. But this is my first time teaching with this. Um, so thanks for bearing with me. Me. And um, <clears throat> we had a professor who used to say that, that he would uh, debate with half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair. And I feel a little bit like I have half my brain tied behind my back just with all this recovery. So I'm going to do my best. But if I say something really dumb, please don't think all Christians are dumb because of me. Okay? It's just a brain tumor. That's my, my great... Uh, out <laughs> right now. But I'm going to do my best. Um, this is a, a subject that I'm really passionate about. And when I used to teach apologetics to the high school students, I would spend a whole semester on this. So this is actually killing me to do it in one time. I'm going to do it. And it, you know, it made me make my presentation shorter. So it, it's cool. But it really, you could take a really long time with this. So we're just going to kind of hit the basics. Um, the sheet in front of you has the um, uh, blog spot thing where you can get this whole PowerPoint online. Um, it's free and all that, and so you can look at it on your own. You don't have to feel like you have to write everything down. And I have some key points on there where I want you guys, I want this to be interactive, so I'm not just talking at you. So that's what that sheet's going to be for, and it has um, some of the key points and quotes on it. So here we go. Just really quick, we talked about last week, apologetics is what? 
What is apologetics? Yeah. Right, it's defending your faith, coming from Plato's apology, where he's trying to defend himself. Okay, so we are doing <coughs> apologetics, which is a rational defense of the Christian faith. Okay, and shoot, I forgot a pill. But let me let me do this this quickly as as an example. Okay, if I had, let's say you had a headache. Okay, and I come and I give you a pill, mm-hmm. would you take it from me? Depending on if you said it would help or not. Well, let's say, I'd say this is an Advil. Here, take it. Would you take it from me? Yeah, probably. Okay, why? Because I would assume that it would help me because it's an Advil. Okay, but do you know me very well? No. So would you have a little hesitation? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) what if your mom, you know, let's say you had a headache and your mom gave you a pill, would you take it? Yeah. Why? Because I know her. Because you know her. What if some bum off the street offered you... It's Colorado. You never know what you could get. Okay, right. So what what I use this to um, is an example of just to kind of make the connection from last week to this week is apologetics is not saying that you can completely give give someone like all this evidence that it's just irrefutable and they have to become a Christian. God still leaves that that little step of faith. Okay, um, there, where, um, where you kind of, you know, that free will. Yes, I believe God. No, I don't. But he gives you enough that you know you're not being crazy. Okay, he doesn't want us just to believe things like, like taking a, a pill from a bum off the street. Because that would just be dumb. Okay, God doesn't want us to be dumb either. Okay, so it's not, it's not just a completely rational, um, you could explain everything. But it's also not this, this, this uh, leap, in the, leap in the dark, which a lot of times Christians nowadays have done. Christians historically haven't been like that. Christians historically have been really smart. We've been the smart ones. But with Darwin and Harvard criticism about 200 years ago, we, we couldn't handle it. We put our head in the sand and said, la, 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 okay, and, and I'll just have my faith over here and reason is over here and don't put them together. And it's really, really sad because we are denying our own heritage of really, really smart Christians who started most of the universities that we have. So what I'm going to what, what all of this is based on is that Christianity is a rational faith, that you can actually have good reasons for believing it. Not 100% evidence, but enough so you can know that, that it's true. Okay, Enough that you know, like your mom giving you a pill. Your mom could have had a crazy day and decide to kill you. All right, But the odds are not. You have good reason to trust your mom, not the bum on the street. Unless you have a crazy mom. That, that could be. Okay, <clears throat> So that's my pill example. Faith is a step of trust in the light, not a leap of faith in the dark. Okay? So when we do apologetics, it looks kind of like this. The basis of it is truth and then God and Christianity. And there's a reason that that it's good to order it like this. And this is one of the coolest things I learned in seminary. It used to be that you could go out in the culture and assume that most people would believe in a God or Christianity. But if you just walked out on your campus right now, can you assume that anymore? No. No. And you can give all the reasons you want for why Christianity is true, why there's a God, and people will look at you, and in the end, they'll say, that's true for you and not for me. And then you're like, what? What do I do? So you actually have to back up nowadays and prove to, prove to people that truth exists and that you can know it. So that's what I'm going to focus on tonight is truth exists and it's knowable. Okay? And we're going to deal with some of the major counters to that, relativism and skepticism. Okay? But it's really important that you get this foundation right, because if you get it off, you're going to be ineffective in your ministry or ineffective or have, have a hard time knowing even what to believe. All right? And w- whenever we talk about truth, 
<clears throat> I want to um, first talk just a little bit about tolerance because when I've given this talk, and I've given this multiple times in multiple places, I have gotten some some kickback that I didn't even expect. I was at a Lutheran school and <laughs> I was subbing. And so early in the day, we had had a, 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 a talk about a topic where this girl really disagreed with me. And I'm like, it's okay that we disagree, okay? But she could not handle that I would believe something different from her on a certain topic. And she like freaked out. And so I had to get up after that and do this, this talk on truth to the entire Lutheran school with this girl glaring at me in the front row. And I was like, dear Lord, help me, okay? And it really, it really helped me see, though, that our culture has a hard time with e people even saying there's something is true. That sounds very, very offensive to people, okay? And they start to freak out, okay? And you start to think of things like the Crusades and the Inquisitions and all, all this kind of thing, okay? And I want to be clear that that is not what, um, where I'm coming from, okay? So we have two ideas kind of in our, in our culture right now of what tolerance is. Okay, or the one that we used to have and one that we have now. And I want you guys to look at these two definitions and tell me which one you think is right. Okay, there's one idea that tolerance is being open to or accepting of all ideas. There's another one from Alan Bloom who says, openness used to be the virtue that permitted us to seek the good by using reason. It now means accepting everything and denying reason's power. Which one of those do you think is true? Okay, why do you think that, Sean? Because you can be open to and accept all ideas, but it doesn't mean, just because you accept the ideology and mm -hmm. the understanding of their ideology, mm -hmm. I guess what I need to define here is accepting. Okay. When you yeah. say accepting, are you arguing that that is believing? Because... I can accept the fact that someone believes in something and, rati and rationally uh -huh. see why they believe that uh -huh. and still disagree with them and have a different belief set. So in that regard, I would say, yeah, tolerance is being open to accepting all ideas. Okay. I can be tolerant and I can listen to any set of ideas and I have no problem with that. Okay. But I might disagree uh, and reason differently than they will. Okay. Um, that, that's a good distinction. I'm glad you, glad you make that made that distinction because here I mean it's uh, this this is an idea that's prevalent in our culture right now that not only that you just listen to all ideas but that they're all equally true they all have an equal claim to to truth and you have to accept them as all right like there's no wrong that's that's what that first one means okay okay what about the second one what do you guys think of that one because the idea behind tolerance is that uh-huh. <laughs> I think he's just pointing out exactly what we just talked about. Like it used to be, you know, permitted us to find truth by using reason and now we have to accept everything as true even though that kind of violates the whole idea of tolerance. Right. How, how tolerance originally started out, and is actually a big thing with Christians, is Arminius back in like 1600s, okay? The, like people are getting killed for believing uh, a certain doctrine, certain subset of uh, about salvation, basically. And the Calvinists were actually literally killing them. I mean, that was happening. And we have, unfortunately, you know, a history of a church that that did some pretty, pretty you know, wrong stuff in the name of religion. Now, I think really all the Inquisitions and the Crusades and stuff was, was more a church that had too much political power and money and was not representing the, the reality of the faith. Okay, I think they got way off. But we have that history, unfortunately. And so Arminius was saying, hey guys, 
Guess what? If you look back at the Bible and Paul, he's saying, you know, take a controversial topic at their time was eating meat from temples, which that sounds weird, but that would be part of idol worship. And he said, guess what? Each of you needs to have it settled in your own mind, but then you like respect each other. Okay, so the original idea of tolerance was you can believe things that are you can really believe the other person is really wrong, but you still give them space to think that and you think what you think, but you don't have to accept that what they say is true. Does that make sense? In other words, true tolerance is being respectful of each other, even if you disagree. Okay, and that's what this little girl in, the, in this little school in the school just couldn't handle. Like if I didn't didn't think what she thought, I was this intolerant, hateful person. And I was like, no, I'm not. I have reasons for this, and this is what they are. And you don't have to agree with me. That's okay. Okay. So as we go forward, I hope we can try to keep the kind of open-mindedness where we look for reasons and say, what's the reasonable position? You're open enough to consider other ideas. But then when you land somewhere and you have good reason to think that, you can stand there without being harsh and intolerant. You can just say, it's okay to, dis- to disagree with someone else. That's all right. And it's okay to really have your position. Does that make sense? So I want to just kind of have that at the outset. That's okay to disagree. But we do it like this. And I thought this was kind of cool. I found this online. It says, tolerance does not mean that we agree or that we ignore each other. It means we make space for each other's different, interesting, odd, wrong opinions. Okay? So in America, you have the right to be wrong. Okay? You can really believe different things, and you're allowed to do that. But what the, the jump with the tolerance now is that you have to say everyone's ideas are right, and that's not true. That's actually destroying reason and the very, the very pursuit of truth when we have to say all things are equally right or equally wrong. There, there, there's no wrong. Does that make sense? All right. <clears throat> all right, so let's start with truth. Okay, and talking about what that is. <clears throat> and I want you to discuss in, in groups, maybe like just your tables where you are, like uh, maybe groups of three, three or four. Um, and this, this goes on your, your uh, sheet that you have in front of you, the questions. Um, I want you to discuss with your group, what is a good definition for truth? What's it based on? Who decides what's true? Does truth apply to religion and morality? Can we know what's true? And then when you're finished, you can play a little kind of icebreaker game that we're going to use where you play two truths and a lie. You guys played that before? Okay, so you write down two true things about yourself, one false thing, you know, obviously mix up the order and see if people can guess it. So discuss first and then play a little game and then we'll come back and, and put it all together. I hear the talking dying way. So, so let's do this. Let's start discussing this and then I want to see if, um, if there's a couple of people who'd be ready, willing to share the two truths and a lie with everybody. See if we can get it, okay? All right, so um, did anyone come up with a good definition of truth? Someone that wasn't here last year, don't totally give it away. But um, <clears throat> maybe some of the new folks. What, 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 what did you guys say? Thank you, honey. Was a good definition for truth? Go for it. Uh, a little longer mm-hmm. definition, but truth is the description of reality as it is. Okay. Uh, reality is the sum of things that are real. Things that are real are things that are measurable or rankable and that have an observable effect on other things. Wow, a true philosopher back here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, thank you very much. Nice definition. Okay, something with having to do with reality, okay, and defining that. Anybody else? What's the definition of truth? Yes. Okay, that's all right. We got more philosophers. Go for it. What is? Oh, last Okay, what is? Okay, good. Anybody else? Yeah. And that's basically with a slight thing adding onto it. That which is regardless of perception. Nice. Okay. 
Very nice. Okay. What the what if you just went out kind of popular culture? If you went out on the campus, what would that definition of truth be? That's actually a question I should put in there. What would the, what's kind of the popular definition of truth? Yeah. Truth is what's true for me. Okay. Good. Truth is what's true for me. Anybody else? What's kind of a popular definition? Truth is what I feel most strong about. Good. Or most like emotionally attached. Okay. Good. Kind of emotional attachment. All right. How about who decides what's true? What do you guys say the for that subject. one? Okay, what do you mean by that, Jonathan? The subject of the thing. Truth is subjective, so it's the subject of the truth claim. So that would be that would be a popular believing it. Okay. So a, a popular kind of definition would be like you make it true. You okay. 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 I believe it's true, it is true. Okay. It's true for me. But I believe it, therefore it's true. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Regardless, I agree that, that there's people have views of relativism. Uh-huh. I would say that my version of how we would know what is to be true uh-huh. would have to, first of all, not be from our senses, would not be from empiricism. I would reject that because we thought the earth was flat for like hundreds of years uh-huh. based off of our senses and science. Well, it may be flat. Yeah, we still okay. don't know. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay. But, but my point is this is I believe that the only way that we can truly know something to be true is if God himself spoke, transcended, and huh. told us, gave us senses, gave us the ability to hear direct audible voice or, or consistent voice. Interesting. So God, but not just not things that, that God makes discoverable through nature, but he has to like actually tell us directly? I think both. Okay, interesting. Okay, all right. No, that's fair. Because here I'm just trying to get the ideas out there. How about does truth apply to religion or morality? And you can tell me either what you think or what kind of the popular idea is out there. Either one. What do you guys think? Does truth apply to religion and morality? Okay, Chad, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it does. Depends on what religion is, I guess. Some people's religion is, but everybody doesn't matter. It's your own truth is true. Um, okay. Yeah, I think it definitely applies to morality. So you think it applies more to reality than uh, morality than to religion, or what do you mean? Um, uh, both, I guess. Both people. For me, it's yes, it applies to religion and morality. There's a true religion and there's a true morality. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. What about kind of popular ideas out in the culture about this? Yeah, Sean? Well, truth can't apply to religion because truth has to do with science, and religion Mm -hmm. doesn't agree with science, so religion doesn't agree with truth. There you go. You kind of have the scientism, where science is the only thing that can tell you truth, so religion's not in that. You can't have that. Okay, that's one view out there. And we know another view out there about religion and morality. Yeah. Yeah, I hear a lot of... uh, a lot of the different religions, uh, or there's a bunch of different religions all claiming to be true, so none of them must be true. Right. Since there's so many disputed claims and so many uh, conflicts, you know, nothing can be true. That's that's kind of the, where they end up. Yes? Uh, to Dawkins' view, there is no morality. There's right. only blind and pitiless indifference. Right. <laughs> we're just, we're just kind of evolutionary. Morality you know, cogs in the machine, and it's just morality is just what is it, what's fobbed on us by our genes to get us to cooperate. It's not anything real. 
Okay. Um, how about can we know um, what's true with any degree of certainty? Either what do you think or ideas out in the culture? You can tell me either one. Let me get a lady. Come on, ladies. What, what do you think? <clears throat> um, I mean, I suppose to say that you can know with absolute 100% certainty and uh -huh. anything being true might be even an arrogant claim, but you can definitely know that some things are more certain than others. Okay. So it's definitely like there are things that you can believe with Okay, but it's very interesting that idea. If you if you have a certain certainty is equated with arrogance. You see that a lot in our culture. It didn't used to be that way, but that's kind of the kind of the the, the way people are looking at it now. If you say you're certain about anything, oh my gosh, it's Inquisition. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, it really. I mean that that happens. But well, no, but it really is. I mean, it really. I mean that that idea, and we'll we're, we'll see why more in in a little bit. There's that idea, but there is the idea. I mean, some common sense left that hey, you can at least know some things. Okay, and we're going to explore that. So the um, great. All right, how about the um, the two truths and a lie? Does anybody um, anybody be willing to do it for the whole group? All right, sure. go for it. Okay. I've been to Malaysia, I've been to the Philippines, and I've been to Brazil. Wow. How is that? That'd be, that's really hard. You'd have to almost know Alan. Anyone want to take a stab? That's kind of the whole point of you haven't been to Brazil? Brazil. Brazil. Is that true? All of you are wrong. I have not been to the Philippines. Not been to the Philippines. Okay. Good. Someone else want to try to stump us with, let's get, lady. Yes. I have one in Ironman. And I have gotten a bus driver fired. You have not won an iron. Wow. Incorrect, sir. <laughs> wow. Granted, it was in the Bahamas, and it wasn't a real Ironman. Ah. Ah. Okay. All right. So, okay. If you if you if you did kind of win an Ironman of sorts, what what then we have two. Le what are the other two? Uh, I've played with a lion, and I've gotten a bus driver fired. All right, what do you guys think? There's a story in both of those. She definitely got a bus driver fired. All right, is it, is it true that you got a bus driver fired? I got a bus driver fired, but I did not, in fact, get Okay, good. So if you notice, some, some of the best, best lies have a little bit of truth mixed in, enough to make it plausible, right? Okay, just for time, I'm going to keep going. I'm sorry, sorry, Sean. But what was it when you play that game? Because I'm trying to draw out of you what you already know. Okay, this is what Socrates would do. He'd ask you questions and draw out what you already know, your own common sense. Okay, what made each person's statement either true or false for these two? Actually. It actually happened. What's another word for actually? In reality, it really happened. And notice the root of the word really is the real. Okay, we have some idea that what makes something true is it has something to do with reality and something false. It's something that didn't really happen in reality. Um, he didn't really go to the Philippines and you didn't really get a bus driver fired. Okay, so a very common sense definition is that truth is like a key in a lock. Okay, it fits it. It fits reality. Like if I say this table is here, how do you know if I'm telling you the truth or not? Because you can see it's there. It's the reality of the table itself establishes that that claim is true. If I say um, there are blue fairies flying around the room right now, okay, is that true or false? Unless you're on some kind of drug. That's false. Okay, what makes it false? You don't see any blue fairies. There's, there's no reality behind the blue fairies, okay, as much as I would like fairies to be real, okay? Okay. Um, 
uh, Matt and I have been watching some of Suits. Anybody watch this? Okay. Very well-written show. I've had to back off a little bit. Just the language is driving me crazy in there, but not judging if you, if you watch it. But what, what happens in there, the premise of the show is this guy right here um, ends up in a bind. He's actually trying to get away from the police, and he has some drugs, and it's a long story. But he passes himself off as a lawyer in this interview. He goes in this, this interview to get away from the cops, and he has to act like he's a lawyer. And he actually gets hired because he's so good. He's such a genius that he's actually read all the legal stuff and actually passed the LSAT for some other people. He like pay, you know, they pay him and he he takes the test for him. So he actually, um, his name is Mike, right? Yep. Okay, remember. Okay, he he's actually a lawyer with this guy. Okay, and he passes it off for a long time, but then he finally gets caught. Okay, and he ends up in jail. And a lot of the premise of the movie is, is he going to get caught? Once he's in jail, are they going to get out of jail? This whole thing, but the whole thing revolves around reality. He he has a, a whole forged Harvard certificate saying that he went to Harvard and all this. But it's not true. It's not because it doesn't match reality. The reality and the the, uh, the lie eventually catches up with them. Okay. All right. So we're going to do a very common sense view of truth. Okay. This is Aristotle. To say what it what is that it is and what is not that it is not is true. Okay. Another way to say that is truth is correspondence with reality or correspondence between thought and thing. Okay? And this goes all the way back to Aristotle, and there's a reason I'm doing this. A lot of modern philosophy is, woo, gotten out into the, the crazy, crazy town, or just arguing about words. And his, his philosophy, unfortunately, has taken some wrong turns. So sometimes, like if a river gets polluted at a certain point, what do you got to do to get clean water? Reverse osmosis. Yeah, <laughs> or you go upstream of where the problem was. Okay, if you do a math problem and you make a mistake, you don't just keep going and, and hope it'll, it'll get right. You have to go back to where the mistake is and figure that out. So we go back to Aristotle because he's called the, the, the um, philosopher of common sense. Okay, and the common sense definition that had been held for, you know, most of time by most people is that truth is based on reality. Okay, we don't make it up. It's what's really there. Okay? It's kind of funny. Everything is true on the internet. Aristotle didn't really say that, though. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> let's do a little, a little test. You tell me which one, which one corresponds with reality. Which picture of the kitty? <laughs> My husband said this makes him hungry. Okay. Obviously, it's this one. I haven't seen any kitties going around with Pop-Tarts. Okay? Or this. And I think it's cool. This is called the Truth Initiative. Okay? They, they tell you this with smoking. A lot of the advertisements used to be in Hollywood and so forth that if you smoke, you can still look young and you'll be sexy and all this stuff. It doesn't matter if you smoke like five packs a day. You'll still look like this. Okay, is that true? That's not reality. The reality is it will do this to you and you'll have to be breathing through a little hole in your, in your neck when you're older, if you smoke that much a day. Okay? And I love, again, that they call this the truth initiative because they're telling the people the reality of, no, it's not what the what all these ads have been telling you from the cigarette companies, okay? That's reality. Okay, how about this one? This is my favorite dude. Okay, this dude literally thinks he's a parrot, so he cut his ears off, and he has this, like, parrot attached to him, and the guy thinks he's a parrot. And at first, I thought this is a weird anomaly, but this is an actual thing where people now are starting to think, I'm an animal, so I'm going to make myself look like this animal that I really feel like I am inside, okay? But you can look at your DNA. He, this dude's not a parrot, Okay? So some of this, you can't, it's not like a, like a syllogism where you can argue. It's kind of showing the absurdity of if you take the other point of view. Okay? 
So we get to this distinction between the objective versus the subjective. Okay? And what I'm arguing for here is that truth is objective, not subjective, because it's based on reality. Okay? So here's, the, here's how this works. Objective is something in the real world independent of our minds. I think we have that de definition over here. That which is the same for you, for me, and for everyone else. So if I say this table is here, that's true for everyone in this room. Okay? Because it's based on something in reality, objective. Something out there. Subjective describes the inner feelings, preferences, and opinions of a person or a subject. That's where it comes from. Personal tastes, individual perspectives, that's which differs for you, for me, and for everyone else. Okay, for example, how many guys, people in here like chocolate ice cream? Okay, how many like vanilla? Okay, so notice there's some, some similarity maybe, but it can differ. Okay, that's the subjective. And you can think of that with an apple. This is how I like to, like to teach it. Okay, <clears throat> something about an apple that is, that is true of the object itself. Can anybody tell me what's true of, an, of the, either the apple up here or the apple here? What's true of this object? It has some mass. It has some mass. Okay, what else? It's plant medical. It's what? Spherical. Yeah. It's what? Organic. Organic. Good. Wow. Okay, come on in. Hey. Yay. Oh, my gosh. It's good to see you. Hey, Yay. it's good to see you. Yeah. Awesome. Come Hello. on in. Hey. I'm okay, nice to meet you. Okay. <clears throat> All right, it can reproduce itself. What, what color is it? It's red. It's red. Okay. So, you could say this apple is red. That is objective, that is, um, objective description of the apple. Okay. How many of you guys in here like apples? Raise your hand if you like apples. Okay. That is subjective. If you say, I like apples, now you're into subjective. Okay. Um, you can do, and you can do this with anything. Um, does anybody know um, who wrote the Republic? What? Anybody know who wrote the Republic? Plato. Plato. There you go. Plato wrote the Republic. That is true of, of reality. That is something that's true for everyone. That Plato wrote the Republic. If you say I didn't like Plato's Republic, you're now you're into subjective. Okay. So that's subjective-subjective distinction. <laughs> Okay, and here's what I thought was kind of cool. Um, I was reading a book called um, uh, Ten Philosophical Mistakes by Mortimer Adler. He's probably one of the most educated men in our country, or he was. He's passed away now. He helped edit the Encyclopedia Britannica. Okay, and this guy read extensively all the classics, all the way on up. Smart dude. The end of his life, he actually ended up um, as a Christian, I think, Episcopal or Anglican. Can't remember which one, but but he he said out of all the reading that he he had done, it had made the most sense. But he's known as as kind of Americans America's philosopher. Okay, he's really well known dude, and he said this: well, if you want to have coherent thinking, um, <clears throat> this is how you can divide it up. And he's this is going to kind of do the objective subjective thing. Okay, he says there's a sphere of truth. This is where reasoned argument is fruitful where you can get somewhere. You should be able to get resolution if both parties are being honest and rational. Okay? So if you have something like, who wrote Plato's Republic? And one person thinks, oh, man, it was Socrates. Another brother, someone else says it was Plato. You can argue based on evidence which one is really true. And you can get somewhere. Does that make sense? Okay? <clears throat> on the other hand, more subjective, is the sphere of taste. This is where dispute or having, having a reasoned argument on something is unfruitful. You don't get anywhere. Um, argue, again, argument gets nowhere and not based on reason, irrational. Okay? So these are gonna, this is kind of going to correlate with the objective over here, 
and subjective over here. Because if it's objective, you can argue based on something in reality. Is that table indeed there? If I say the table is there, you can say, well, yes, you can point to it, to something in reality to say it's there. Okay? But if I say, I like chocolate ice cream, does anybody argue over what kind of ice cream flavor you like? Like if Corinne, would you like chocolate? Would I get an argument, no, you don't like chocolate ice cream. You really like vanilla. I mean, you wouldn't do that. You're like, what are you talking about? Okay? So we can clearly see that there are things that are legitimately, some things are fit in the objective category, in the sphere of truth, and some things fit over here in the, in the subjective or the, the personal taste thing. Okay? Now, the big thing is, is figuring out what goes where. Okay? So I want you to take a minute with the, the sheets in front of you and with, with that same, um, maybe that table group, and I want you to, say, to see what you think goes where. So there, I have a couple um, things, like scientific, historical truth, style of clothing and music. Put them where you think they go in those spheres. Good point for next time. All right, so let's see what you said, okay? Um, let's start with this table right here. What, where do you guys think scientific and historical claims fit? Um, I just used it to, or sorry, uh, sphere of taste. Okay, why? Why? Interesting. Because, um, guys. Because a lot of times. Uh, I guess I'm not quite sure. Guys. Okay. All right. Th okay. But there's some there's some question, and that's 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 okay. Remember again, we're we're here as we're doing this, guys. We're discussing ideas openly, and we're not gonna like get mad at you if if we don't agree with you. Okay. You can really agree to disagree nicely. Okay. That's kind of what I'm trying to model is true tolerance. It's okay to disagree. Just do it nicely. Okay. Not gonna beat anyone over the head. So historical and scientific truths, and there are some people that that are little, you know, wonder is it in the sphere of of taste and op opinion. Okay. All right. What, what did you put? I, yeah, I'm, I was kind of split. Um, I would go with with sphere of truth just because I, don't know, I, I feel like when it comes to science, like that's because you get like I don't know proof from you know, experiments or okay. math or you know stuff like that. So um, and then history, you could. You know, uh, you know, you go like with archaeology or, or something like that. I so I, okay. I thought maybe it's spiritual, but like I'm, I'm very torn on yeah. Which okay. Which, All right. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, I feel like it depends on how backed up the historical and scientific okay. things are with mm -hmm. like evidence or. Good point. Okay, I'm going to show you where Adler puts it, and then I'm going to explain why. Okay, he's going to put it over here. He's going to put scientific and historical truths, even though there are some that are debated. Okay, it, um, it, he's not saying that if it's over here, you can't debate it. It's not like this is 100% knockdown drag out. But what he's saying, and I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to give it to you now with this first one. Here's how he, he says you tell. Well, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm going to wait and to see to, to, um, for how he, he says where it goes. All right, how about you guys over here? Um, what do you think of style of clothing or music? Where does that one go? It's your taste. Okay, and you might argue over... Oh, oh gosh, and that's, that one's off. Sorry. This, I have food you like. But, you know, it's the same thing. You guys know this. I mean, that's, that's kind of obvious, whether you like pizza or Chinese food. Okay. You might be able to argue legitimately over which one's better for you, but not which one you like. Okay? So if you like it, that's sphere of taste. Okay? What about uh, moral truths, people in the back? Where do those go? 
or moral claims, I should have put. Okay, why? Because uh, there can only be one morality that is correct, otherwise they will contradict each other. Okay. So, yeah, you can, you can debate it. You can, can debate about it because one's going to be correct, one's going to be wrong. Okay. No matter. Okay, anybody have a, okay, let's, let's go. Anybody have a counter to that? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to kind of say spirit of taste on this one. Okay, why? Um, moral truths tend to, so your morals are based off how you're raised. Uh-huh. Not necessarily implicit to um, like a basis in reality. So your moral truth may be, it could be morally correct for you to kill puppies. It might not actually be morally correct to do it. Uh-huh. But there's been a societal view. But in your viewpoint, in your growth, in your growing up, you could say that, or even within some religious practices, it's like Islam, for example, it's acceptable in some cases to kill people. Most people would argue that killing people regardlessly is against is morally wrong. Mm-hmm. So, in that regard, you can put it in the sphere of taste. Okay. And say that because it's it's not subject to truth in that point because it's a moral value, and morals are different between people and people. Okay. So that means someone's wrong about. It. Can, can can you have can you have a moral belief that that is that is wrong or you think not? It just it depends on your society. I think it depends on. I mean, I'm not exactly representing what I think here, but I think the view I'm putting forth. Uh huh. It would depend on where you were brought up and what culture you were brought in. Okay. You know what? Actually, I'm going to do before I actually put it put it on here and tell you where, what Adler thought. I'm just going to ask you guys before I even put it up here. Okay, so it's good because I want to get the discussion out out there. Okay, favorite foods we've kind of already done, but what about philosophical truths, like or claims, or like, um, you know, like logic or something like that? Where, where do you guys think that fits? I would say you that's true. Okay, why? Um, because I mean, to say that there isn't logical truths would be self-contradictory. Yeah. Okay. Itself, because then you would say. There is, there isn't a logical truth, but there is a logical truth. Okay. Which is a logical truth statement. Okay. So you'd have to to deny it is to yeah. affirm it. Okay. All right. So something about philosophy seems like that's more on the truth side. How about favorite sports team over here? Where does that go? Yeah, taste. Taste. Okay. Now you might disagree on like, are the Panthers better, really better than the Broncos? See, we came, we came from Charlotte. So we might have an argument over who's better or who does better in, in you know, the Super Bowl, whatever, but not who's, if it's your favorite. If, it, if the Broncos are your favorite, that's your favorite. Okay, that's taste. Okay, how about religious truths? People in front, what do you guys, what do you guys have? Where'd you put it? <clears throat> your religious claims, I, I should say. I put arrows to both. Okay, why? It's all right. Because uh, I guess religious truths kind of caveating off what he said because uh-huh. um, a lot of like western people grew up christian so uh-huh. it's kind of embedded in the culture okay but uh, that's about as far as i got okay all right so so maybe there's there's something about it's just kind of where you grew up whatever kind of religion you happen to be you grew up in india so you're you're hindu so that's true for you but not necessarily everybody okay and, and do you guys have have any arguments for the other side about it? Uh, if um, 
th things that are part of religious claims are objective reality, then it, it, uh, even if you want, with regards to moral and uh, religious truths, even if uh, people are raised a certain way and don't believe that to be the case with uh, a lot of uh, the claims, it doesn't change what the reality of the situation is, whether or not they know it. So okay. uh, religious claims, uh, at least uh, as far as the claims concern stuff like reality, such as the existence of God or historical events, the, uh, those are definitely claims uh, that would uh, belong in the sphere of truth. Okay, so whether Jesus was really a historical person might be something you can verify either way. You know, you can either show either it is in reality he really did, you have good evidence for that, or you don't. All right, let me show you where Adler puts stuff, and I'll, ex and I'll try to explain why. Okay, so obviously we have those two. He's going to uh, um, put philosophical truths and logic there. Style of clo clothing or music you like. Which sports team is your favorite? Okay, but he's going to put moral truths and religious truths here. Okay, and there's a reason. It doesn't mean that they're not debatable. Just like there's some debate for science and historical things. But he's going to say, he's going to argue for the objective position that there is some reason. Um, or there's some reality behind these things. So, for example, murder being wrong, okay? There's something that is really good for a person. Like, is it good for you to be alive? Is it bad for someone to kill you? Yes, that is based on something in reality. It is really better for people to be alive than dead, okay? Generally speaking, and not saying that there aren't odd circumstances, but in general, that right to life is something that's, that, that transcends cultures because it's based on something in reality, namely human nature and what is good for people. Just like, I mean, we're, we're, in, we're, you know, we're in Colorado, so we know what's good for us as far as like our bodies. Like exercise is good, okay? Eating a bunch of cheeseburgers is not good for our bodies. That's based on something objective, what is really good or bad for us, okay? I happen to love chocolate, okay? And I have this irrational thing that I can just eat as much as I want and, and not get fat, which is not true, okay? There's something that's really good or bad, whether or not I, I like that, okay? And even religious truths, he's going to say is here because obviously the, there's the difference of beliefs and we have the freedom to believe different things. He's not, he's not um, challenging that. But he's saying when, when religions makes claims about reality, that can be evaluated. Was Jesus a historical person or not, okay? That can be evaluated. And here's his big thing, and I thought this is really cool. He says, if you can argue about it, it goes here not here, okay? Why would that make a difference? If you can argue about it, why would it go in the sphere of truth versus the sphere of taste? What are you doing when you're arguing? And I'm not talking about argumented, being argumentative, I'm just, but I'm saying having a reasoned debate. What are you doing when you have a reasoned debate, when you argue about something? What are you trying to show? Right, like my kids, I love them, but they do sometimes fight. I know they seem really angelic, okay? But I have to go in there sometimes and be like, okay, who really started it? Okay, and they'll both give, I'll listen to both of their sides, and I'll try to figure out, okay, who really started, did you know, did you, Wesley, did you try to take her iPad or whatever it was? You try, you're looking at reality. Reality is the thing that determines whether or not something is true or false or right or wrong. And when you argue, you're trying to show something. So anytime you start to argue about, um, scientific truths, philosophical truths, moral truths, religious truths, you're trying to show something is really true. You're trying to argue based on reality and based on evidence. And that puts it over here. Okay? Not that everyone believes the same thing, but that there's something in reality you can use to adjudicate who's right and who's wrong. Okay? So I'm giving you the objective point of view. Okay. 
So let's let's look and reason a couple of these things that, things out. <clears throat> let's talk about fashion. Okay, this is from you know kind of turn of the century. Do we still dress like this? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Anybody still walk around like this? <laughs> Unless you're in some historical reenactment. Probably not. Okay. Has fashion changed? Okay, is there something about fashion that seems like it's subjective? Yes, like I can wear jeans now. I would not have worn this to a couple hundred years ago. They would have been like, what, are you working on the railroad? What are you doing? Okay, so there's something about fashion that seems like it is legitimately subjective. But what about this? Oops, sorry. Okay, when, um, this is some of our modern fashion. Okay, is there anything wrong with wearing a white dress or having a different style? No, but what's the difference between those two pictures? Modesty, okay? Where this, this time, they had, they had some concern for modesty. Maybe we might say too much, okay? You couldn't even show your ankle or your neck, okay? But we come to today where women aren't really concerned about modesty, at least not very much, because it gets, gets you attention or whatever it is, okay? That desire to be beautiful and that desire to be fought at, um, sought after, okay? But what I'm trying to show is these are not the same. Okay, and the whole idea of modesty, is modesty objective or subjective? Objective. What? I think objective. Okay, why do you think objective? Because objective, because there is, it's not, it's, it's objective, but it is not binary. What I mean by that is somebody is not simply modest or not modest. Uh -huh. There's a range of modesty being on how much of human flesh is covered. So if a person only covers like the bare minimum, that's minimum modesty, and it can objectively increase in modesty up to 100% of a person's body. Okay. Yep, Sean? Yeah, I would disagree with that. Okay, why? Modesty is based on cultural awareness. So if you're in India... Mm -hmm. and you're showing your neck, you're being modest. Mm -hmm. But if you're in America and you're showing your neck, you're probably wearing a normal outfit. Okay, g good. Yep. You're, yep. Well, Go ahead. Modesty is a moral concern, isn't it? It's an ethical moral concern. Right. So if morality is objective, ergo, modesty has to be objective. Good. Okay, that, and the, you guys both brought up points to, um, that I want to make with this. With something like fashion, it seems like there's a subjective part to it, but there's an objective part, okay? It is true that, like, say in Africa, okay, women walk around breastfeeding their kids, they got boobs hanging out, but it's not seen as an immodest thing. It's not trying, because being modest, you're trying not to incite lust. So in that culture, that isn't considered a big deal, but you don't show your thigh at all in Africa. Okay. Whereas, obviously, in our country, at least most places, you're not supposed to walk, walk around topless. I know there's a big thing here about on campus. You can do that, but no, that's a debate. But, <laughs> but my point is, there seems to be a subjective way in in way maybe how it's lived out. Okay. Uh, different cultures might have ideas of what of what's modest, but the idea of modesty itself does transcend cultures because then you're dealing with not wanting to incite lust and not wanting a woman to be objectified okay and the problem with uh with our modern society is yes women we might get attention but we just we don't know what we're doing in those guys minds okay and we just became an object to them we might get attention but it might not be the attention that we want okay so some things are going to actually have a little bit of each some part of fashion is just 
you know, whatever, it's subjective. But some parts, when it crosses over into morality, now it becomes objective. And this is why you have things like dress codes, okay? Because, because they're trying to, trying to keep people from being distracted, trying to keep, be, keep women from being objectified and just treated as objects, okay? Because there's a moral concern there. I just want to, I'm trying to help you see your own intuitions is what I'm trying to do. Or what about this? Is it subjective or objective that Hitler was a worse person than Mother Teresa? What do you guys think? Uh, if you're going to evaluate it morally, which person is better morally? Yeah. Well, I was just going to say Hitler was doing what he thought was best for Germany, uh-huh. bringing him out of the depression and um, economic disaster. Uh-huh. And so he was doing what he thought was morally right. Okay. Did that ma- does it make it morally right just because he thought he was doing that? I would say no. Okay. Because Why? Because truth is objective and like going about it the way he did, like the Holocaust and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He's murdering people. And so as an objective truth, murder is wrong. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Anybody else? What What would you argue for this? Is Is Hitler morally better or worse than Mother Teresa? And is that objective or subjective? What do you think? Yeah. So his his behavior is worse, but can we say that the person itself is a worse person? Okay. And here, do you know that's a good distinction? I'm talking about behavior. Okay. So, so Mother Teresa goes and helps the poor in Calcutta who are dying. Okay. Hitler systematically exterminates six million Jews and a whole bunch of other people he he um, deemed deviant or not part of the super race. They were less human, therefore he could wipe them out. So I'm talking about acts, not people. Okay. Would would you say would you say those moral acts are on par? Oh, yeah. Or the same? Wait, no, what? No. <laughs> I know what you mean. You wouldn't say that, okay? So there seems to be, what I'm trying to argue for, I'm trying to argue for the objectivity of truth and morality and that kind of thing by showing you what you already know. There's a deep intuition that we have that I think we need to listen to. It's our common sense. That there's something different between just I like pizza and just saying, you know, if all I could say about Hitler was not that he was really morally wrong in his actions, but I just don't, I just didn't like what Hitler did. That seems like something wrong with that. And I was actually in a debate with my sister uh, about this, and she tried to tell me that Hitler was just misunderstood, and she's Jewish. I'm like, how can you say that? And she later came back to me because we were talking about our morals. Is there real right and wrong? Is it just more um, objective or subjective? And she was trying to argue that, oh, they're subjective, and Hitler, you know, Hitler is just misunderstood. And later she came back and said, oh, I do believe in a real right and wrong. But she, but to win the argument, she was willing to go as far as saying, oh, Hitler was just misunderstood. Yikes. Okay. When you deny your own moral in- intuitions like that, you get into problems. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it seems to me that morals are a personal subjective experience that collectively we choose to agree upon, thus making it more objective, but still from the standpoint of us being humans on a finite planet. Whereas let's say we were to look at the health of the planet as a whole, 
and maybe we continue in our destructive ways and so some sort of virus develops that comes to wipe out humans so that the earth can restore balance back to itself. All of a sudden, your morals about right and wrong become much more blurred because you're talking huh? about the well-being of an ecosystem bigger than humanity versus humanity. So when we're talking about human interactions directly, it seems like it becomes more of an agreed-upon thing, but it's still subjective. Okay, it's a gr that's a great illustration, because what I'm doing right now is I'm presenting the objective point of view and trying to argue for it, and then I'm going to present the subjective and, and try to compare that. So, so you're right. I mean, I, I haven't totally proved this yet. I'm just, I'm just kind of broaching it. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good, good point. Okay, yes. I think, it's, yeah, I think it's a good point, too, in that we have to define what is good. And so if we're defining what is good, a secularist might say utilitarianism, for example, mm -hmm. in which case Hitler was, I would say, justified in a lot of what he did, or at least his theory in what he did, which is you know, speeding along the process of natural selection. So if he's trying to create a super race that will ultimately you know, lead to the, the highest quality of humans, down the road, if that's the proposed theory, then that's good in the utilitarian worldview. However, if we prove that there is a God, so if we if we see that there is a God and that, that God has a law that has been revealed, then we must objectively say that that is what is good because it's, because it's the very mirror of God. If that's proven, then, then we get to things like the image of God, value of life, sovereignty, um, and the objective, the objective truth that murder is wrong. But I would say that, that if you take it, if you take God out of the equation, you're unable to say that Hitler was really wrong because he may be doing what is good for the most amount of people. You, you tell him. Okay, and, and we will next week. We're going to do some some arguments for you know for God's existence, which will kind of maybe help in that, but I, I, but I th um, again, what, what we're kind of illustrating here is that there is, there's this debate going on. Uh, is, is morality really good for everyone? Like, is my daughter really cute for everyone? Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> is morality really right for everyone, or is this something we just make up? Okay, and that's, that's precisely what, I, what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm, uh, if you can let me get a little further, I think that might help, okay? But good points. Before we move on, I mean, wouldn't you say that's kind of like how I, I don't know, like, I think our generation always questions, like, how did, how did that happen? How did, that, how did an entire nation get together and think that that was okay? And so it, there's a level of, of clearly of subjectivism that, that what, what do you read upon. What, what do you mean? Subje well, just, just in what Hitler was doing. Like, how oh. did the majority of that country say this is a good idea? We're gonna, you know, you, you'd have to believe some pretty extreme, or nobody knew, like, just some kind of not as likely scenarios right. as opposed to more of the, we see it as a subjective thing and we as a majority, not everybody not an absolute, but uh -huh. as a majority see it as this is what we need to do. Good. And the question is, because you do have, you have the Nuremberg trials where we, we you know, convicted Nazis yeah. of that. Okay. And that's based on something. Okay. When, when you have it's, it's hard to say. If you just say majority rules and whatever the majority rules right. is right, okay, that, that um, that's actually more subjectivism. That's where your your culture defines. But if you're saying there's something deeper that transcends culture, that makes it okay for us in America and the rest of the world to say Hitler was wrong, even though it was he was doing what was right according to his society or at least his ideological group, 
we, we condemn that as wrong. Why? And what I'm trying to get at is there's a moral intuition there that most people have. And why is that? What, what explains that better? Objectivity of morals or subjectivity? The fact that we can look at Hitler and say, hey, hey, we got to draw a line. Yeah, there's something about, you know, there's different fashions for different places, different places have different food. Nobody gets convicted on, you know, whether you like pizza or Chinese food. But there seems to be when you cross it in the moral realm that there, I mean, there's a reason we even have, have laws that certain things are wrong and that you can get yeah. you know, sent to prison for things. There's, there's a moral intuition that goes deeper that transcends cultures. That's what I'm going to be arguing for. Yes? All I know, just because I am a history buff, this happens to be a little in the house. The reason that the people of Germany agreed with Hitler was because although his progression to power was essentially very quick, his methodology behind how he got there was extremely tactical and extremely strategic. He didn't start by doing very radicalist things and putting forth these super, uh, what we would now call like ridiculous ideas. He started as literally someone who, he used the role of a tyrant, but he stepped in and did something for the people that they needed them to do. And then he did something else for the people and he won their affection and then over time, grew and developed that love for him and that trust in him so that by the time they could question what he was doing, he was already radically empowered and out of control. They had already handed over so much control to him that there was no stopping the machine. And a lot of people, again, I just got um, done reading The Hiding Place by Cor Ten Boom, who was a Dutch Christian who they, they had a hiding place in their house for Jews and they helped many Jews escape and she ended up being in the concentration camp herself because of that and she said many of the Germans themselves did, first they didn't even know about the camps but later when they did and they saw people being taken away they knew it was wrong they knew it was deeply wrong and she even had one of the um, Nazi officers come up to her when afterward, afterwards she went around the world preaching forgiveness for this. And she and her sister had this dream of having a place where not only people who were in the concentration camps could be rehabilitated, but even the Germans themselves, what happens to a person, um, what twists them as a human to be, to be able to work in a concentration camp and do that and try to justify that to themselves was hugely hurtful to them. So her sister, Betsy, wanted to have a place for, where the Germans could be rehabilitated, who got so twisted by that evil. Okay, and there, that says something. I think there is something deep that um, that w it's not just us with our moral intuition, but there's a, a deep sense of humanity that we can call that wrong. And even the German people themselves, who supposedly went along with it, knew it was wrong. And one of those officers actually came up to her afterwards and asked her, begged her for forgiveness. He's like, I know what I did was wrong, and I'm so sorry. And she looked at that man, and she's like, I did not want to shake his hand at all. She was so mad because she lost her, her father, her sister in the concentration camp. But she, she knew that God was telling her to forgive this man. So she's like, God, help me. And God just kind of gave her this ability to shake his hand and say, I forgive you. But the guy knew. Deep down, we know. You can only push that, that moral sense down so much. Even the people in the worst evils trying to justify to themselves, they know. And that's what I'm trying to get at, that deep intuition that's there. Okay? So first, first those, there's the moral thing. And I would say there's a deep moral intuition that we have that transcends cultures that some things are really wrong. Not just, it's true for you, true for me, it's true for Hitler, not for me, whatever. But there's something really wrong. 
Okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to apply, kind of show you how the ob uh, objective truth position applies to God. Okay, now please again hear me at the outset when I talked about tolerance. Okay, it's okay if you disagree with me, and I'm not saying you have to agree with me. I'm just asking you to be open-minded and consider. Okay, um, what I'm trying to say. Okay, so if we start with with the definition that truth corresponds to reality, that means even with God, which a lot of people would put in the subjectivist category and say, well, that's just your own personal belief, your own personal opinion. Okay, that idea—it's actually called subjectivism—has hasn't really been popular in many cultures for most of time. It's a more modern thing that even your beliefs about God are just your personal opinion and thus have no claim on the truth. Okay. Most cultures and most, most of times re, uh, realize that there's different religious beliefs, but that they can't all be true, have the same truth claim. Okay? So it's just our culture, uh, now I would argue, that gets us to put it over there. And what I'm trying to get you to evaluate is should it be, should religion be relegated over here to just a mere opinion, or could there be something objectively true to it? Okay? So if you take God, um, um, the idea of God, okay, oops. Sorry. Okay, and I'm going to start with something that's that's a self-evident first principle, the law of non-contradiction. This is a basic law of logic um, that all of our, our, our thinking and our and our reasoning and our rationalizing is based off of. Okay, the law of non-contradiction says a proposition can't be true and not true at the same time in the same sense. So if I say I'm here and I'm not here in the same time in the same sense. I can't, I can't both exist, I can't both be here and not here at the same time. Does that make sense? Now, I might not be mentally here, okay, but physically here, okay? Or I, can, or I can't say this desk both exists here and it doesn't exist here at the same time in the same sense. That's a law of non-contradiction, okay? And that applies to me, that I can't both exist and not exist at the same time. That also applies to God, okay? Who, if he exists, would actually be ultimate reality and he would be the foundation of reality, okay? So he either exists or he doesn't, okay? And so this means you, um, you have to evaluate theism versus atheism. Theism, based on theos, means belief in God. Atheism, the A negates it, not theos, not theism, not God, okay? So God either exists or he doesn't exist, okay? You can have different beliefs about that, and that's okay. Again, we live in a country of religious liberty, and thank goodness what we do, where you can believe different things about God. Okay, that's fine, and we tolerate different beliefs about God, and I'm glad we live in this country, not in China, where they're persecuting Christians now just for having their beliefs. Okay, glad we have that. But objectively, God can't both exist and not exist at the same time. He can't exist for you and not exist for you. Because if he's real, just like this table, he either exists or he doesn't. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is why we can have a debate about it, because we can offer reasons, and both theists and atheists are going to offer reasons for their position, and when they do that, now they've moved from the sphere of, of taste to the sphere of truth, because they're trying to argue this really is true. Either there really are good arguments against God, or there really are good arguments for God. Does it make sense? They're trying to say something in reality can really sway, sway you one way or the other. Okay, and then like Socrates, a reasoned person follows the evidence where it goes. Okay, if we want to retain our, our reason. Okay, or <clears throat> um, if you want to contrast it with um, Hinduism. Hinduism, or uh, theism, all kinds of theism, Judaism, Christianity, and um, Islam are going to say that God is the creator outside of the universe. He's a transcendent creator. 
Okay, that's one claim. The other claim for Buddhists and Hindus is that God is really a force or he's kind of the same as the universe. God is the universe. Everything is God. Okay, and again, those are contradictory. They both can't be true. And you have to evaluate which one has better evidence. Which one seems to correspond more with reality and with the evidence that we have from reality? Is God outside or is God the same as the universe? Or God can't both be one God and many gods. So you have monotheism, belief in one God, versus polytheism, belief in many gods. You got Thor in the movie. I love that, that movie. But you have to remember Thor is based on the Norse mythology where they really thought Thor was a real God and they thought there were many of them. Or you think the Greek pantheon or the Roman pantheon. Okay, so God can't, can't be both of these. If God really exists in reality, he's either one or he's many. Okay, now people give the objection of the Trinity. Okay, well, isn't the Trinity saying God is one and many at the same time? Can anyone answer that one for me? Because that's a common mis- mis- misconception about Christianity. How, how, does, how does the Trinity not violate this? Jonathan, yeah. are you raising your hand? No. no. Are you stretching? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the way that Christian Orthodoxy has understood the Trinity is, has been through the revelation of Scripture, and the revelation of Scripture uh, says the statement, O Israel, like, our Lord is one, right? So God is one. So we say that he's one in being and three in person. Right. So a person, is, we have a category distinction. Now, many people assume modalism upon Christianity that God changes forms. That's, that's heresy that was thrown out in the early church, but what we assume is that God exists in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which are different persons that, um, which we, like, in the same way that you're a human being, I am also a human being, but we're different people. Right, so if we were saying, just to kind of sum up, if you're saying God is one God and three gods, that would be a contradiction. If you're saying God is one God, three persons, it's a mystery. We don't quite, can't quite um, wrap our heads around it, but it's not a contradiction. You're not saying God is three persons and one person. You're saying he's one being with three persons, kind of like a, um, a triangle is, is usually used. Okay? If you take away one of the sides of the triangle, it's not a triangle anymore. So you have the Father, you have the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, but they make one triangle, one being. Okay? So that's, that's how you'd argue that Christianity's view of the Trinity is not a contradiction, it's a mystery. Okay? Anyway, going on for time. Okay. <clears throat> so either Jesus was a historical person or he was not. That is something that you that he can't both have been a historical person and not at the same time. So you evaluate, well, which one? Is there better evidence that he was just a legend that was created, you know, by, by those early people, or was is there real historical evidence that, that he was real? Okay, and if you keep coming the next couple of times we're gonna be talking about that and evaluating that. He either rose from the dead or he did not. Christianity is a very historical religion, okay? And they think God entered um, history. And so you can really evaluate, did that happen or not? If it didn't happen, Christianity is not true. If it did happen, that's pretty darn good evidence, okay? Like if Chad comes in and says he's God, you might be like, woo! But if he predicts his own death and then, you know, that he'll rise three days later, we might be a little more like, oh, hey, what are you doing? There might be something more to his claim. Okay, so again, Christianity is a very historical religion based on objective things that can be evaluated for truth or falsity. Okay, the angel that appeared to Muhammad, he was either was either genuine or not. So either Muhammad claimed this angel Gabriel showed up to him. He either made that up or there was really an angel there. It can't be both at the same time. 
And you have to evaluate. And then, once you get the angel was there, was the angel a demonic or telling him the truth? And he didn't even know at the time. He went to his wife and was like, I don't know if a demon showed up to me or an angel. Okay, that's good. That's a good reason to question right there. Like, though, even the dude himself, he's like, I don't know what it was. So you can, what I'm, what I'm trying to show you is using, using objective truths, you can evaluate even religious claims. Okay? And just because you think a religion is wrong doesn't mean you're hateful towards them or anything like that. But it means you can establish the truth or falsity of different religions. Yes? Is that a drawing of Muhammad? I don't know. I just found it on the internet. I think so. I don't know. There's only one drawing of the messenger of Islam that's ever been produced, and it's only been seen by a select handful of people because it was so perfectly eradicated Okay. All right, guys. And I got—I have very little time, so so let me uh, jump through this just quickly. We're not going to get all the way through this, but <clears throat> so what? What Peter Kraft is saying, and what I'm saying here is, what objective means in objective truth is that it's independent of the knower and his consciousness. Okay. And since this is true, it can be—we can have reason debate about it. That's the cool thing about objective truth. Being right is is based on appeals to evidence and to conscience, not might makes right. Because here's the problem: it sounds very very tolerant and nice to say everybody can have their own truth and there's not really one truth. But the problem is, is when you don't have something objective outside of yourself to, to base it on, what, who, who makes what's right? Who decides what's right? The strongest person. Might makes right. It, it's redu it reduces to power. And so you think about all the political struggle going in our country today and people just yelling at each other because they've lost reason debate. They don't have anything that they can really show, hey, you're right, hey, you're wrong. Hey, Wesley, you were right, and Julie, you were wrong. They just have whoever's stronger. So Wes can beat up his sister, he's right. So it's actually less tolerant to believe that, that all truth is relative than to believe in objective truth because objective is outside of people. That means we can both look at something and agree on, hey, this table is here. And that settles it. Not, he's stronger than me, so he's right. Okay? Um, it's accessible and is known um, by all. It applies to people at all times. And objective truth means objective moral tr truth claims are possible. And that some, some religious claims may correspond more closely with reality than others. Okay, religious claims can be evaluated. This does not mean that I think my religion is true and so I can go beat you over the head with a Bible. It doesn't mean that. Okay? Um, you can believe truth without being a jerk about it, okay? But it does, and it doesn't also doesn't mean that all other religions are completely false, okay? In fact, C.S. Lewis said that. He said, he said, if you're a Christian, you can. When he, when he became a Christian, he was an atheist. He said, I could actually look at religions and see lots of truths in them, okay? And and I can affirm that. When I was an atheist, I had to say all the religions were wrong all the way through at their base. That whole religious impulse was just wrong. So he was actually more intolerant as an atheist than as a Christian. He can at least acknowledge, hey, Islam believes in one God just like Christianity does. Now, where they conflict, they both can't be true. But you can acknowledge a lot of the good that's there. Okay, and this, it, it, this is an old movie. Have you guys ever seen First Night? Okay, this is like going back. Sean Connery is, is awesome, King Arthur. Okay, he says this, though. It's a great illustration of objectivism. He says, either what we hold to be right and good and true is right and good and true for all mankind under God, or we're just another robber tribe. So he's like, listen, what we're doing, this, this setting up that of equals, this round table, either this is really good, objectively good for everyone, or we're just, just the biggest kid on the block and we just happen to win. Okay, there's something to objective truth that's actually very in keeping with 
um, equality, with democracy, with those kind of things. It's actually subjective truth that gets more totalitarian. If you're in China, you have to do whatever that government tells you to do, whatever their government decided is right. And you can't appeal to anything outside of that to say, hey, no, you're wrong, China, for telling me I have to think this and this and I have to do this. And they're actually watching them with cameras now so they can like track all their citizens. I mean, it's crazy. You get a totalitarian kind of thing. It's kind of nuts. Okay, and C.S. Lewis, I, I, I love C.S. Lewis. Um, he has a whole article that's really good called The Poison of Subjectivism that if you ever get a chance to read, it's awesome. And he's, he's dealing with this. He says, if truth is objective, if we live in a world we did not create and cannot change merely by thinking, if the world is not really a dream of our own, then the most destructive belief we could possibly believe would be the denial of this primary fact. It would be like closing your eyes while driving or blissfully ignoring the doctor's warnings. Okay, and what I'm arguing here is that objective truth is something that we already know. It's, it's kind of our common sense. And then if we ignore this, it can really, I mean, that can screw up your life. And let me give you a, a real life example. Um, this is a picture of my brain tumor and people who came in, I had a brain tumor removed about four months ago. And we, we, for years, I went to about six ENTs. It took the sixth ENT to finally say, go get an MRI. And they figured out what was wrong with me. I thought it was allergies. Okay, I, I was getting numbness on my face. I couldn't hear. I'm like, what is going on? I actually had one doctor tell me, don't try to figure it out. You just, some questions have no answers. I'm like, why are you a doctor? Well, that's your job. Okay. <clears throat> but thank God I, I kept looking because objectively there was something really wrong. Okay. This little tumor right here, it's called an acoustic neuroma. It was between my ear and my brain. Um, would have killed me eventually because what it was doing, it was cutting off my uh, cerebral spinal fluid and I was getting all these headaches and migraines and stuff. And it would have eventually killed me if they hadn't found this. So I'm very grateful to these doctors that they found it and that they took it out. Okay. But this is objective reality staring me right in the face. I can't just subjective that away. I can just say, well, to me, my tumor's not really there. Or I don't really think it's there, so therefore it's not there. It's there. And if I don't do something about it, I could have been dead. So this is showing you, again, I hope, objective morality, it's not intolerant, or objective truth is not intolerant, but it's also something that's very common sense. Okay? And to, um, to ignore it, you know, we ignore it to our peril. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to go through this just, just quickly because I, I know we're running out of time. The other view is subjectivism or relativism. Okay, this says that truth and reality are based on personal preferences, opinions, or feelings. Truth is inside you. It's not out there in the real world. So this is a contrast. So they were gonna, they're going to say everything is over here in the sphere of taste or in the sphere of the subjective. It's true for you, but not for me. Relativism is a form of this, and it says that truth and morality are relative to or determined by one's culture or time period. And this is kind of what we're talking about. Well, in Hitler's time, it was, it was his culture, so it was right for him. Okay? What they're going to do is they're going to take um, the sphere of truth, and they're going to move oops, morality and religious claims over here into the same thing with, with favorite foods and sports teams. Okay? And this is where a lot of our culture is today. Okay, so here's some implications. Okay, when you, you take the whole pro-life, pro-choice thing, okay, with abortion. Um, <clears throat> they're going to say your opinions about that, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, are purely subjective over here. Okay, they're just your personal opinion. They have no claim to any, any basis in fact. Okay, now if they're going to be completely, um, if they're, if they're going to be consistent there, you shouldn't even be able to argue for that. 
You shouldn't be able to even argue the pro-life or pro-choice pro, uh, position. Why not? Why can't you even, if you really believe that all, that your, your claim either being pro-choice or pro-life is just your personal opinion, why can't you argue about it? Yeah. Because so too is the belief that it is just a personal opinion, a personal opinion. Right. It's actually what's called self-defeating. Okay, so saying all things are are subjective is actually an opinion. It's it's their claim. That's either opinion or it's true. It can't be both at the same time. If they claim that okay, the truth that moral truths and religious truths and all this are just your opinion. If they claim it's just an opinion and there's no basis in fact, you could just be like, okay, so what? That's like them saying, I like chocolate ice cream. I like chocolate ice cream. You're not saying anything. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-choice. Okay, yay. They, they haven't gotten you anywhere. But the minute they try to argue with you and try to say, no, it's good to be pro-choice because of this. It's good to be pro-life because of this. Now they entered the sphere of truth. They're trying to claim it's really true. N number one, what I'm saying, but also this view that everything is subjective. They're saying it's really true for everybody. Because if it's just true for you, who cares? This is a personal opinion. If you claim it's really true for all people, you claimed one thing, namely subjective, subjectivism is really true for everyone. Subjectivism is objectively true. It's what's called self-defeating. Okay? <clears throat> Same thing with the religion thing. Okay? Completely agree with the coexisting that we should be able to coexist peacefully. But to say they're all true denies what the people really think in their own religions. Because in Islam, they don't think Jesus died on the cross. They think that couldn't happen to prophet. That had to be Judas. Christianity is going to say, no, Jesus died on the cross. So you're actually being intolerant to the own people's religion to say, no, what they believe is all completely the same. It's not. Okay? It doesn't mean we have to hate each other. We can still disagree peacefully. But to say they're all the same is actually a slap in the face to, to the very people who really believe their own religions. Also, no one who believes in any of those religions can ratify that. Because if you're a true follower of Islam, one of the most basic grievances in almost every single religion is that you can't have idolatry. Right. Which is the worship or acceptance of another god. Right. So if you want to say that everyone's right and everyone agrees, it's not possible. They don't. Because none of them agree. And only one can be right by the definition of the truth. Right. Um, so let me go through this quickly. So in for subjectivism, relativism, that basically the truth is what your peers, peers let you get away with saying. Okay. Or in other words, it's kind of like when we think the bad thing of lawyers. Lawyers can argue anything and get anything out of it. That is that is so sad that law has gotten to that level. Okay, because what the law was supposed to do is you have two sides debated out and whoever had the best evidence won. Not whoever had the better lawyer or whoever's lawyer could spin it better, but who, whoever actually had the, the facts behind them. And good grief, if, you know, if let's say, God forbid, my husband was accused of doing something awful, I'd want to I'd have a court of law that's going to look fairly at the evidence, the objective evidence, not subjective what the jury thinks or, or what lawyer can spin it where. It's kind of scary when this gets into law. And my sister, one of my sisters is a lawyer. When they went into law school, they basically said, forget everything you know about right and wrong. We're going to basically made them subjectivists. Scary. And you wonder why lawyers end up like that. But on, on subjectivism, one person's truth conflict, conflict, can conflict with another's and still be valid. They kind of let go of the law and law contradiction. No truth is universally true. No religious belief can be true. There's no objective morality. Right and wrong are up to the individual or culture. 
what this means is that you can't persuade or try to proselytize because your truth is just supposed to be your opinion. So you can't, you can't cram it down someone else's truth or someone else's throat. So there's basically no room for argument here. Um, tolerance is a cardinal virtue. Now, again, tolerance is good. I think it's a Christian virtue. But their tolerance is you have to say everything is the same. They're, everyone is right. Everyone's equally right. And truth becomes a matter of power. Whoever is in charge politically, socially, whatever, decides what's true. Okay, so you get all, all the stuff on the news. You just get wh whoever can basically scare the other people and doing, doing what they want to do. Okay, not saying that there aren't legitimate things behind these things, objectively, but this is, this is what it becomes. It becomes a big screaming match. Instead of, uh, instead of a reasoned debate where we calmly try to look at the evidence and figure out what's true, it becomes who can scream louder, who can raise more money for political funds, who can get their people in office, who can control the media. It becomes who, who is the spin doctors, who is in power. Um, <clears throat> implication is this, uh, this is Rachel Dolezal. She was actually um, headed an NAACP chapter at one point. She literally, she, was, she is a, a white girl over here, but she passed herself off as African-American, okay? And she got away with it for a while until the objective facts come, came out. Um, her parents, you know, kind of came forward and be like, she's not really African-American. And so she lost her position as an NAACP leader. But here's this idea that if you really think you can create reality and truth is whatever you think it is, you get to that kind of, of absurdity where you really think you can change your race. Now, it's great that she identified with the African-American plight. That's awesome. I do, too. But to try to change reality like that, that's what you, where you get with subjectivism. Or you get this guy. This is in Boulder. I, I, I brought this uh, yeah, uh, last year. This guy really thought his parents, um, they died, and he thought they came back in the squirrel. Okay, and he had this argument with his neighbors. I guess he was trying to feed these squirrels, and, and the, the neighbors like, "I don't want these squirrels in my yard. Please quit feeding them." He's like, "No, those are my parents. You know, I gotta feed them." And it got to be such a tiff they couldn't they couldn't have rational argument. So this guy takes a shotgun and shoots his neighbor in the butt. Get elevated to this like, and that's what happens when you don't have have an objective truth that you can both look at and come to a good conclusion. You're just left with, "Well, I'm going to shoot you then." Well, you'd have to look at the specifics of that case, but, but what I'm trying to illustrate is if you don't have facts and you just have one person's word against another, it becomes just whoever happens to have a gun or whoever, whatever. You, you, lose, you lose the objectivity of, of being able to say, look, you, there's no evidence that the squirrel is really your parents. Right. Well, if truth is subjective. How can you say that the person's a rush? Because their truth is just as just as anybody else's. You cannot say I, I that. Guess I guess I might be misunderstanding what your point is then. Well, like you were attributing that kind of situation <clears throat> to a subjectivist society. Well. Well, first of all, okay, I'm from Boulder, and this guy's from Boulder, so I can say this. Boulder is probably a place where there's a little more subjectivism, relativism than the other places. So you're right, it's a jump. I don't know, I don't know specifically this guy's situation, but I, I think it illustrates that when you lose, when you don't have objective truth and something that you can say, look, the squirrel is your parent or not, 
I'm trying to say what, what an implication of that is that you just, instead of having rational debate and being able to resolve it peacefully, you get to this just screaming matches and people pulling out guns and all kinds of stuff. Can that happen with object, objective stuff? Yes. But I'm just saying that's what it, that's what it kind of leads to. And it leads, like, if this guy is crazy, being crazy is where you're disconnected from reality. So again, it kind of proves that, that point that truth is based on reality. If you're crazy, you're denying reality. So I, I don't, that's okay, and it's all right. Maybe I didn't make the point well, or you can disagree with that. That's, that's fine. Um, if you are a relativist, you can't say the Nazis are wrong to kill innocent Jews because that's their culture. Or you can't even say Martin Luther King Jr. was right to fight racism in his time. Because what relativism says is that your time and your, your culture defines it, not what's really true. Not Martin Luther King Jr. was appealing to something real. Okay. Um, again, we talked about the self-defeating thing. And um, I want to end, end with this, and then I'll, and I'll be done. Okay. This is um, from atheist philosopher John Searle, but it's, it's kind of, it's an interesting quote of why people even like, why would they like subjectivism? It says, I have to confess that I think there is a much deeper reason for the persistent appeal of all forms of anti-realism in which we create our own reality and everything, everything anyone believes is a matter of personal preference, interpretation, and spin. It satisfies a basic urge to power. It just seems too disgusting somehow that we should have to be at the mercy of the real world. It seems too awful that a representation should have to be answerable to anything but us. Okay, kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> that there's something about subjectivism, even with all its implications of you can't say Hitler is wrong and all this, people want to, we, think of all the virtual reality we have. We kind of, we don't want to have to deal with reality. So we want, we want to conform reality to us instead of conforming ourselves to reality. And that's, so it's, it's basically, it's a power thing. We don't want to give up the power of saying, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's an objective, uh, objective truth that could actually challenge what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, Noah.